Good morning. Today I'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 to 10, and then skipping ahead to verse 17 to chapter 6, verse 2. Verse 3. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues day and night, night and day, to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Verse 17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone, so that the others may take warning. I charge you, in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels, to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying of hands, laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rebecca. If you can keep your Bibles out and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Um, we didn't read the whole chapter, but we will go through the whole chapter, so I'm sure it benefits you to have it open. But let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you that by your word you are gathering your people and healing this broken world. And we, by your word, you have gathered this church, and now we pray, now you'll speak to us that we might be changed by it, that we might be a people who are life-giving to others around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
In general, I think Americans are nice people. And if you go to a restaurant, um, American wait- waiters and waitresses are super nice. And when you come in, they listen, they give good recommendations, they pay attention to you throughout um, your meals. But if you ask, why are they so nice? Well, partly, it's self-interest. Because did you know that in America, waiters and waitresses are paid below the minimum wage and because they depend on their tips. And so if you are nice, hopefully you get tipped a little bit more um, than others. They're paid to be nice. And often it's like that in every relationship, unfortunately, isn't it? If we're nice to people, often it's because, well, we want other people to do nice things for us. You might hold back, for example, your anger towards your clients, partly because you want their business. Or you might go and help somebody because in the end, who knows, maybe you'll need some help in the future. You go to these networking events and you congregate around the most sort of popular and powerful, uh, most successful people. Hopefully, maybe they'll come to use for you one day. In the world, we, are, we use others and we're used by others. And that seems to be default mode. But I hope when we become Christian, something deep happens that we look at people differently. We look at people not as people who we're going to use, um, but people who we can honor. There are three different groups that are mentioned in this text. The uh, widows and the pastors and elders and uh, Christian leaders and also uh, the masters. But all that unites these three sections is the word honor. Honor them. Honor one another. Actually, it's, uh, in verse 3, it's given as give proper recognition. But in the original Greek, it is the word honor that's repeated three times. We're to honor others. And we're to honor widows. Widows who actually cannot offer much back to you. We're to honor them. Why? Well, partly because God honored them. In the, Old, uh, in the Old Testament, God showed his particular concern for widows and the orphans because they're the most vulnerable uh, people group at the time. And God honors them by calling himself the defender um, of widows, father to the fatherless. God commanded the Israelites not to take advantage of widows and orphans. In Isaiah, to take up their cause and speak uh, for them and help them. One of the first actions of the early church, if you remember, the spirit-filled church, when they started to expand, they devoted seven people. They appointed seven deacons, seven people to take care of widows, to make sure that their needs are properly met. And James, brother of Jesus, does not think taking care of widows and orphans is an optional extra for the Christian. This is how he put it in James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is not an optional extra. The true religion shows that we take care of the needy among us, the most vulnerable among us. But this help isn't blind either. Uh, we, take a look at, at some of these uh, requirements that, that uh, Paul gives. Verse 3 actually says, Honor widows who are truly widows. Who are truly, which means actually they're widows and then they're real widows. What does that mean? The people who, widows who are really in need. 
Because actually in today's days, more so back then, more so than back then, uh, there are other help that's available. There might be insurance or pension or government welfare system or whatever that might be available to them. And back, even back in the New Testament days, not all widows were the same. Well, how are we to discern between the two, widows and the real widows? Well, Paul says in verse 4 that, um, that those who have children should be taken care by their children, not the church. Because the fifth commandment, remember, is to honor our parents. And honoring our parents, at the very least, means taking care of them in their old age, meeting their needs in their old age. We are to pay back. And this, uh, Paul says, it pleases God when we obey this command to take care of our aging parents. And you probably know many non-Christians who may, might have lived an otherwise fairly selfish life, but they take, make it a point to really care for their parents. And Paul says in verse 8, if Christians don't do this, then it's, it's denying our faith. And he says, we're worse than an unbeliever. Worse than people who don't have, who haven't received this standard, received this command by God to care for others. Another group um, that the church isn't obligated to care for are the widows who take the gifts for granted um, or use them uh, or waste them. He puts them like this in verse 6, those who live for pleasure, those who abuse the gifts of others. They depend on the gifts and the charity of others, but then they, 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 they throw it away. They live wantonly. Um, they uh, live for their own pleasure. And Paul says, these widows actually are not your brother or sister. Right? These people are not your brother or sister. They are dead in, in, spiritually, he says. Verse 9 is a bit difficult. Verse 9 and 10 uh, assume some sort of a list. No widow may be put on the list of widows. And some people think that these are people, widows, who are qualified and who are able to receive gifts from the church. And others think that this is kind of a group of widows who do ministry who have devoted themselves not to remarry for the rest of their lives and serve God and the church, and therefore also then receive some money from the church. This, this might explain why the standards for them are so high. It's very high standard, isn't it? And historically, this has been interpreted this way and has like nunneries or nuns or a group of people who have devoted themselves to the Lord have sprung up out of reading these uh, texts in this way. But either way, what comes across is that people who are helped by the church, well, they're known by the church. They're not strangers. People who are, uh, continue to receive the church serve the people of God and demonstrate their godliness. Because I think there are those who come just to take advantage of the situation. The generosity of the faithful, aren't there? Shatin Church in the past has been a, a victim of a fraud. Somebody who claimed that they were really needy, but they weren't. Uh, we need to know who they are. And Paul says, at the very least, we need to know who they are. Description of the younger widows in verses 11 through 14, they're a bit more difficult to read. And they describe a person, I think perhaps, who might have other ways of supporting themselves um, than receiving support from the church. In this case, remarriage. Younger widows can remarry and is recommending them to remarry. 
Well, why? Uh, back then, it's, uh, one research shows that because of the infanticide and abortion, that so we- uh, ran, uh, went on so rampantly in the Roman Empire, there were about 140 men to 100 uh, women. Which meant that because there, women were so, uh, there was so, uh, such a shortage of women, uh, everyone who wanted to remarry could remarry. And Paul might be saying that those, the younger widows, well, instead of devoting themselves to ministry in this way and devoting themselves not to remarry, well, if you can, just remarry. Remarry and, and don't be a burden to the church in this way. But the reason, I want to say, the reason why Paul gives such restrictions is not so that the church could get out of serving the needy. It's to determine who the needy are, that we need to prioritize the people who really are in need so they can be served first. They should be our priority. So how do we apply this? I think the first way is to ask, are we serving our own parents or are they becoming a burden to somebody else? Are we serving our parents? Are we meeting their needs in their old age? Are we listening to the fifth commandment? And these needs don't have to be financial needs. They could be psychological needs, emotional needs. Are we calling them, listening to them, having a relationship with them still in their old age? Is that something that we are doing? And I know many of you in this church have are living a different life because you want to honor your parents and you want to serve your parents. And that honors God. That pleases God, Paul says. Secondly, putting this into practice is to, um, before we meet the needs of this, the world out there, we need to be mindful of the needy among us in the church. Uh, we are not to neglect the needs of our spiritual brothers and sisters in the church. Friends, look out for one another. Please let me or other church leaders know if you are in a difficult situation. We actually have a fund that's set aside, managed by the mission committee, that helps the needy, the most needy among us. We've helped pay for flight expenses or a repair of a damaged house or even given some money to the unemployed. And I am thankful also that you are very mindful of one another. And even yesterday... Uh, I saw, I spent some time uh, with a group of women who are, who spent the time meeting one another, praying for each other. And one of the people who were invited was, was, this, was somebody who lost um, her, her husband a while back. And this person has invited and cared for and loved and prayed for. This honors God. This isn't an optional extra that you are doing. That is a sign that the gospel, the true gospel is working in this church. Uh, that the true, that's the sign of a true religion, as James says. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. And let's continue to look to honor one another, not to use each other in the church, but to find out who they are, to become brothers and sisters and honor their needs and honor them. A second group uh, that Paul says to honor is the church leaders. <laughs> church leaders. Um, and it might seem slightly self-serving uh, for me to preach on this text. Um, so please take out your Bibles and make sure that it is the Bible speaking to us. Verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. 
Elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. It's not honoring the position. Once again, it's honoring the tasks. The people who do these tasks well are worthy of double honor. And honoring them, like honoring the widows, I think at the very least means meeting their financial needs too. Uh, Paul compares these pastors to an ox um, that's working or a day laborers um, that goes out to work. An ox isn't muzzled uh, while it works. It can eat if it wants to in the place where he works. That's the principle here. The day laborer goes out and works and he deserves to be paid, he says. There are churches that take advantage of Christian workers. They say, well, the pastor shouldn't be in it for money, and they make sure they can't be in it for money by paying them so poorly. I want you to know that that's not the case here in Shatin Church. I'm very, my, I and my family are very well taken care of, so thank you so much for contributing to the needs of the church. And I hope, I, hope me, I and the other staff are working better than an ox and a day laborer for the gospel. And I think it also says worthy of double honor because it's not just about the money. Right? It means uh, recognizing and showing respect for their work. I, last week, I quoted this study or that poll that showed 38% wanting to quit. One of the main reasons why they wanted to quit ministry is because of discouragements. Often discouragements set in to uh, church workers, and encouraging words can go a long way. Encourage them often, because like most in leadership, leaders are often criticized, and that's shown. Verse 19, right? Don't entertain, it says, every accusation and gossip made against them. Protect them. Look at what happens if they fail, verse 20. Their failures are made public. They're rebuked. They're supposed to be rebuked uh, and reproved in front of others because their lives are lived in front of others. And that's high responsibility. So again, Paul goes on to say, I charge you. I solemnly give you this charge. Inside of God and Jesus Christ and the elect angels, keep these instructions. And he gives a few more. Verse 21, don't treat anyone out of favoritism. Verse 22, be slow and selective in, uh, in uh, appointing leaders. Laying on of hands here is most likely uh, about ordination. Verse 23, take care of your, your, yourself. Uh, verse 24, I think the you know, verse, gist of verse 24 and 25 is keep going. Keep going. Good works in due time will show themselves. Keep going in the job. I think in most jobs, uh, you're recognized for the work that you do, and that's about it. But people in ministry, well, they're kind of their lives are lived out publicly, aren't they? Uh, they watch, people watch not only what they say on Sundays, but whether they're living it out on Mondays through Saturdays too. They're evaluated on how they treat their spouses or their children, what clothes they wear, how, how tidy their homes are, how, where they go on vacations, how often they go on vacations, or whatever else that might make uh, that impression. That standards are often very high and impossible to live up to. But as we've seen in this letter, they're supposed to watch the, their doctrine and their life closely. Because they, are, they have that great task of pointing people to Jesus Christ. It, it, it is an honor and a privilege. The church, once again, 
I want to say thank you for honoring me in many, many ways. And uh, I often feel that I get praised more than I deserve. So thank you so much uh, for that. And can I suggest that you, all, you also extend that praise and, and others uh, to, to others on the staff? I mean, today, Ariel leading music, wasn't it wonderful? <laughs> Pauline and Sawai um, uh, Rhoda working... Um, Sorry. <laughs> uh, they're wonderful people, and it's a privilege um, uh, to work uh, with them. Praise them when you see them doing good work for their character, for the quality of their work, and for the way how hard they work uh, for God's kingdom. They, and, and, and if you can recognize the Sunday school teachers, solid rock leaders, your parents who have taught you the Bible, your Bible teachers uh, at school and others, recognize their work, honor them. They deserve to be honored for carrying on their noble task. In fact, it should be the practice of all Christians to honor all other Christians. At first, uh, the last section, honor the, 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 the masters. It's about, at first, about slaves and masters. Uh, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. And again, the word honor is used. It's all honor. But first, as we go to this section, don't make the mistake of thinking that just because Paul mentions slavery, that he approves of them. Chapter 1, verse 10, he put slave traders in the worst category of sinners. He doesn't approve of it going on. Well, why doesn't then Paul uh, 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 command to throw down the whole system? Well, that's a complicated question. You can go back to Niels' sermon. It was an excellent sermon on this topic. It's in our archives, and you can find it. But today, just let me say, slavery in Roman Empire, in in many respects, was different from chattel slavery of North America. It, was, it wasn't exactly like going to a job, but it was more like that um, than slavery in North America. And also, estimated 50 million people at the time, at any given Roman Empire time, uh, were uh, uh, hired or worked as slaves. They did all sorts of different jobs. Clerks, farmers, um, uh, soldiers, uh, even doctors, teachers. Um, these professional jobs were also given to slaves um, as well. So to dismantle slavery all at once actually would have brought the whole collapse of that society. And finally, in due time, it was the Christian ideal of equality and dignity of all people that did eventually bring down slavery. Slavery in Korean culture, Chinese culture, in many cultures was the norm. That was the norm around the world. It was the Christian ideal of dignity of all people that eventually did bring down slavery. Well, in the meantime then, how were the slaves uh, to treat their masters? Verse 1, honor them. Honor them. Why? Because they bear the mark of Christ. Because they represent the apostles' teaching. So that apostles' teaching in Christ might not be slandered because of their shoddy work. It's giving dignity to them, right? They represent God and God's teaching. So honor others so that Christ might not be slandered. 
But then I think there is a principle that goes underneath here. It also says honor others because um, they're uh, uh, honor their Christian masters because they're 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 Christians. Once again, uh, you could see the temptation, right, uh, to exploit the situation. Oh, he's a brother in Christ, and so therefore maybe I will take a little bit longer break, lunch break. Uh, you're supposed to be gracious, so I'm supposed to, uh, I'll be a bit lax in my work. Paul says we shouldn't go back to our default mode of exploitation. No, we are to honor others, especially because they're Christians. According to uh, Christian sociologist Rodney Stark, every decade um, in the early church, the Christianity grew by 40%. 40% every decade. Well, how did that happen? It wasn't just, although the message of forgiveness of sins, the hope of the re- resurrection, that was obviously the biggest thing. But why did, it cr- uh, uh, why did it grow so quickly? Rodney Stark thinks because it transformed our relationships. It transformed a husband's relationship to the wife and wife to the husband. It transformed the relationship with the, uh, the outcast, uh, the, the, the sick, the people who stayed in plagues and, and served um, uh, the, the sick, who nursed people back to life. They were Christians. Um, people who came into church and found immediate affinity, and they became brothers and sisters no matter their station in life. They came to church and found a new community at work. Why did that happen? How did that happen? Well, it was because of the gospel. Because God saves all. God loves all. God gives dignity to all people. And I hope that's how we see one another. Widows, pastors, others, the parents, uh, and um, uh, our bosses, our um, people who work for us, they're all People made in the image of God for whom Jesus Christ died for. On this topic, I can think of no better way than just quoting C.S. Lewis in his great sermon called Weight of Glory. This is how he ends that sermon, and let me end with that. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is is to ours as a life of a gnat. But it is immortals we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way, for in him also Christ vere latitat truly hidden, the glorifier and the glorified, glory himself is truly hidden. Friends, you have never talked to a mere mortal. The people you sit next to, they're made in God's image. And if they're Christian, Christ is in them. Shall we honor one another? Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that even when we're sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. When we were your enemies, you saved us. And we thank you for loving us in that way. We thank you for showing us our dignity and our worth in your eyes. 
And Lord, now, would you transform how we see ourselves and how we see others? And Lord, help us not to use people, exploit them for our own purpose, but each person that we meet, Lord, help us to see them as you see them, someone for whom Christ died, someone who bears the image of God, and someone um, that we ought to honor. We pray these things.